Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We are so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. If you've got your Bibles, you can go to Psalms 139 and Colossians chapter 3. So Psalm 139 and Colossians chapter 3. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is grace allowance. And we had the survey here that you guys just talked about, but just real quick, how many of you got an allowance as a kid or gave an allowance to your children? Raise your hand, you got an allowance? All right. So I love the idea of an allowance, and when we're talking about getting an allowance, we're, we're, uh, especially when we're talking about getting it from our Father God, we're talking about this idea of a grace allowance. Now, when we talk about grace in this context, we're not talking about saving grace. You know, we just, we just celebrated the saving grace of Jesus when we took communion together. It's that grace that allows us to get into heaven, that covered all of our sins, that, that totally transformed us, allowed us to be born again. That's saving grace. But there's another aspect of the grace of God that he gives us, and that is his empowering grace. In other words, God came and, and, and created mankind, and then we, we lived, and he knew we couldn't do it alone, so he gave us the Holy Spirit, and he gives us his grace to empower us to live the life that he has called us to live. We can't do it without his grace. We need his grace to save us, but we need his empowering grace to strengthen us and empower us and allow us to become everything that he has created us to be. And he gives us a grace allowance. It's the empowering allowance, the empowering grace that allows us to do what he's called us to do, to be the people that he's called us to be, to be the students that he's called us to be, to be the workers that he's called us to be, to be the friend, the spouse, the parent. Everything we do, every role that we play in life, we need the empowering grace of God to allow us to be successful in what he has called us to do. But the thing about empowering grace is it something that we have to appropriate. There's, there's something that he expects from us, and it's not a performance-based thing, but there is a, a, we have to daily go to him and get our allotment of grace so that we have that empowerment that we need to accomplish what he's called us to do that day. But I want to set this up just a little bit differently, so just kind of hold that thought about the allowance to the side for just a minute, and I want to talk about how God created us and how amazing the person sitting next to you is and how amazing you are. And so we're going to start with one of my favorite psalms of all time, and it's Psalm 139. Many of you have probably heard this verse. This is the David, the psalmist, and he is writing about how incredible God is in his creation when he created us. And so let's read this. And I want you to see yourself in this text. So verse 13 of Psalm 139. God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Now hold on to that word knit for just a minute. We're, we're going to look at that more closely in a second. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together, again, we see that knitting reference, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, I love this passage because it talks about the intentionality of God. And it talks about how God, when he, when he was creating you, he, he did it everything on purpose. And it talks about him not even just, he didn't, you know, he spoke creation to being, but when he created you, he didn't speak you. The, what David says is he knit you together. He actually took his hands and he wove you together in your mother's womb. He, he took the parts and he, he, he formed you very purposefully, very diligently, very intentionally. 
And, and I love that David is using this idea of knitting, but he didn't know anything about DNA 4,000 years ago when he wrote this. But we now know, scientists can tell us, that actually it's, it's really not unlike knitting. You know, it took some of your dad's DNA, some of your mom's DNA, and God actually took each individual strand of DNA from your parents and he knit them together, literally connecting each one, creating the very unique person that is you. And he did it with great intentionality, with great purpose in mind. And, and I love this idea. I, I love how God is. I, I think he's just amazing. But I love the way he reveals some of his creation and some of his incredibleness and in, in the way that he has done the natural world. And so I, I want to, you know, talk about an Easter egg, and this is a little bit interesting. Well, let me just ask you this. Do we have any gamers? Anybody here? Any other Fortnite players? Anybody else like to play Fortnite? Anybody that knows somebody that plays Fortnite, right? Okay. Uh, by the way, I'm D-Dad1. Don't shoot me. I'm old and slow, all right? So if you see me out there, just kind of let me go. So, but I love, I love games like this, and a lot of times what the, the creators of games or the Marvel movies, they put in there what they call Easter eggs, right? These are kind of like these little surprises that they get when you find it. It kind of tells you a little story or you learn something about the game or creation. These little surprises that they have. Well, I believe when God created us, he put these little surprises, these little Easter eggs in us, and DNA is one of them. Because he was so specific in how he created us and making our DNA so unique, and yet he then took and put your DNA in every single cell of your body. Now think about this for just a minute. If you take the DNA out of our body, out of any cell, and if you could unwind the alpha helix and kind of line this thing up, your, your, your DNA is about six feet long, two meters about six feet long, which is pretty amazing. So when God wove you together, that's what he did. And then he was so all about making sure that you knew you were you and you were unique, he took that DNA and it's in every single cell in your body. Now, the average human has about 37 trillion cells. I myself have a bit more than that, but I'm working on it because I'm on my way to Hawaii. <laughs> but right now there's about 37 million of them. And so these 37 million cells, I'm sorry, trillion, 37 trillion cells in the human body. With 37 trillion cells, if you take that times six feet with the amount of DNA that is in each and every cell, you get this incredible number. Just let me put it in context for you. The moon is about 238,000 miles from the earth is the average orbit around the earth. With your DNA and 37 trillion cells, your DNA can stretch to the moon and back 89,000 times the DNA that's in your body. If you just take your heart, just the heart muscle, the heart muscle itself has about 2 billion cells in it. You take the DNA that's just in your heart, it'll stretch around the circumference of the earth 91 times. Just the DNA that's in your heart. See, God is so amazing, and he, he, he wants us to understand how intentionally he created us and how purposefully he created us and how important it was. That, that way we could understand nobody's a mistake, nobody's an error, there is nothing that is wrong. You are perfectly and fearfully and wonderfully handcrafted by the creator himself. And there's nobody else on the earth that is like you. And God did it on purpose. And, he, and, he, and he, he focused on every detail, your nose. He, he gave you that nose. You may not like it. You may have wanted your mom's instead of your dad's. But God gave it to you. Your ears, God gave it to you. Your hair, whether you have any hair, all of those things were predetermined by God when he created you in your mother's womb. And it goes on to say, and he knows every day that you were going to live out. They were all written down in the book before one of them came to be. And God, God knew what you were going to go through. He knew what your experiences were going to be. He knew what was going to happen in your life. And so he created you perfectly 
to prepare you, to equip you, to become everything that he has called you to become. He lined it all out. And I even love thinking about this. This blows my mind even more. That not only did he have to, to weave me together, he had to go back generations all the way back to Adam to make sure the DNA was there to create me here. So he planned for me through the generations of my family. See, God was so intentional when he created you. He was so purposeful, and he, and he did it with such precision that it means everything that we have, every gift, every talent, every ability, the way we think, all our personality that has been given to us, all of it was created by God on purpose. Now, it also means then that every weakness we have was also just as intentionally given to us by God. It means that any flaws that we have in our thinking, in our personality, and maybe it's not a flaw, maybe it's just a weakness. Maybe we're strong in, in math, but we're terrible in English, which I'm going to share with you in a minute I am. Maybe it's, it's that we're really good at thinking this way, but we're good at sports, but we're not good at music, or we're good at music, but we're not good at doing science. Whatever it is, God gave us, he intentionally gave us all of our strengths, but he just as intentionally gave us our weaknesses. So that leads us to a question that we have to answer. Why would a good God build in weaknesses in every single human being? Why, why would he build blind spots into our very framework? If he's that intentional, I mean, why didn't he just make us perfect? And, and I think the answer is quite obvious because he wants us to need each other. See, God built you with a gift and talents and abilities, but he also put in weaknesses so that you need other people to cover your weaknesses. See, God created us flawed on purpose so that we would come together and need one another. I, I found out that I was dyslexic. I knew I was having trouble in school growing up, certainly with English and reading and writing. But I, I didn't know I was dyslexic, um, or I didn't know to call it dyslexia or what the problem was, until my kids were diagnosed, my sons were diagnosed with dyslexia. My son was about in the first grade, and luckily he was at a school, and the principal that was there, she had a lot of experience with dyslexia, was kind of really a, even an expert in the subject, and so she called Kim and I one day and said, hey, Jass is showing some signs of, of dyslexia, and so we'd like to have him tested, and we're sure. And so they got him tested, and then we got called into the principal's office for uh, kind of going through, Here, here's the report, let us tell you, and so sure enough, she said, Jass definitely tested positive for dyslexia, and so she starts telling us, well, this is what dyslexia is like. And one of the things, I just remember her saying this after a few minutes and, uh, of kind of sharing about this whole dyslexic thing. And I, I was asking her, well, what, what, you know, kind of help me out. What is it like? She goes, well, here's one example. Most dyslexics cannot alphabetize without singing the ABC song. And I just looked at her and go, there's people that can alphabetize without singing the ABC song? <laughs> I had no idea. And then, and then she very graciously goes, and it's generally hereditary. And I thought, okay. Well, that explains things. That, that explains my life growing up. When I was in high school, I, I would go to, to register for school. You know, when you're old enough to finally go register for yourself. Well, I couldn't spell my full name, my formal name, James Lafayette Witcher Jr. I, I couldn't spell all that out. I could, I could get the Jimmy part, but I was pretty sunk after that. And, uh, and so my mom would actually write out my name so that I could carry it in my pocket. And then I would come to the school and I would pull out my name and I would hold it there so that I could copy out my name when I was filling out the papers. When I would go to, to do spelling, I, I just spelling makes no sense to me whatsoever. I used to spend hours in the hallway. My teachers would send me to the hall and, you know, write them a hundred times. You know, they would always tell me great advice like, well, just sound it out. Well, sound it out, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And if anybody studied the English language at all, half of it doesn't make sense when you sound it out. But I, I never got the sounded out thing. It doesn't make any sense. 
And, and so I would spend hours out there trying to study, and, you know, and, and literally it was, I had a 50-50 chance, which is why most of my English grades were 50 or lower on spelling, and, um, when I would do spelling tests. Well, one day Kim was studying, and Kim, Kim's a, a, an incredible student. She was quite brilliant. She was 13th in her class of about 650 and uh, had a full scholarship offered to University of Texas for academics. Well, that, that wasn't my life. And so one day she's studying her biology class, and uh, in college, and she had to go to the Texas Tech Medical Library that we have there in uh, in Amarillo, and to do some research. And so we went, and I went with her, and and uh, and we're on our way out, and they have this book cart, right? Have you guys ever seen these? You know, like a cart there in the library, and and uh, it just used books for sale. And there was this book on on genealogy, and I thought, oh, that's awesome. You know, this was before Ancestry.com. You know, where you spit and they tell you where you came from. Um, this was. Uh, and my aunt was doing genealogy of our family. She's really, and I thought, this is amazing. This is like a whole textbook on genealogy, and it probably tells you, you know, who you can call and places you can go and gives you methodologies for finding your ancestors. And I thought, this is awesome. And so I grabbed the book, and I put it on the counter, and the lady looked at me kind of funny. I'm like, she's like, you want this? I'm like, no, really, I'm really interested in this. And she said, okay, and gave her the $3, and we go home. Kim goes off in the other room to kind of work on her report. And so I, I'm going to sit down. I'm so excited. I'm going to read my book on genealogy. So I sit down and get something to drink, and I sit down, and I open it up. And I close it. I look at the front. Go back. Go to another page. I open it up. I close it. I look at the front. And it was in that moment that I realized that gynecology and genealogy are not the same thing. You know, I'm thinking, they're, they're tracking stuff that doesn't need to be tracked. I don't know what this has to do with trying to find my ancestors. But this is not what I came to get. And that's been my whole life. So my whole life is like that. And so, you know, words don't make sense. And they try to help you out with spell check, right? That just takes one word I couldn't write and gives me five choices that I don't know what they are. That's not super helpful. I, I, I love to, when I write, you know, my staff has to read everything that I write. And I, I write stuff on the board all the time. And they're always saying, well, no, just, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to write a word. And so it's, it's I instead of you. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know where I's and you's go. And, and you know, what, what's that, um, the, the, the painter, right, with the fro that we always used to watch on PBS, Bob something? Bob Ross, right. You know how Bob Ross, Bob Ross, every time he's painting a big mountain scene, he would do the whole mountain scene, he would see a little bird right here, right? He's always needs a little bird. There has to be a little bird. Well, that's what I do with vowels, right? I'm, when I'm writing words, just here's an E, here's an A, you know, here's an I. We'll just, put, we'll, just, we'll just add vowels wherever they need to go. At the end of every word, an E at the end of every word just makes it a better word, I think. And so, but that's how a dyslexic thinks. And so God created me in such a way, he gave me all kinds of gifts and abilities, and actually dyslexia, and, and I know it's funny, and I'm going to pray for some of you. Some of you know that, what it's like to go through school when you have these challenges. Um, but both of our boys uh, are, are dyslexic, and we fight all the way through school. I mean, it's, school is not fun. It's a, it's a, it's a battle uh, to get through school. But there's another side of it. You know, dyslexia helps me think in a totally different way. It helps me to understand three-dimensional imagery and pictures and leadership development and structures. And, you know, I may have this great picture. I may not be able to write it on the board, but that, that's where I need people to help me. You know, I, they don't, nothing that I write goes directly to the congregation. It must pass through several filters before it goes out because God only knows what I'm going to say. And um, I need help. I, ha I have a weakness that's a strength in one area, and learning to overcome it certainly has been a strength. But it's a weakness, and I need people around me who can help me, who can cover me, who can protect me, and who can help me overcome that. And, 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 so, and it's so crazy. I mean, the Lord is so crazy. He, he, he makes me dyslexic and then gives me a job where I get to stand up in front of people and read all the time. 
And, and it's, but he knows that he, he is created in such a way. We have weaknesses. He created my strengths, but he also created my weaknesses. And I have to embrace those because when I can embrace my weakness and I can bring people around me and go, hey, I just need you to know I need help in this area. This is an, you just got to know I need help. I am weak. I can't do this alone. I, I need you in my life to cover me here. It changes how we interact and how we interact with our team when we're willing to, to share those things, right? So, so let's now go to Colossians, and I want us to shift to our grace allowance because if we understand that God made us with strengths and God has given us weaknesses and, and we need help to cover our weaknesses, now in an, our, our grace allowance begins to make more sense because when we wake up in the morning, we, we are, have an opportunity to receive our grace allowance, and it's to help us to cover one another's faults, to cover one another's weaknesses. So let's start here with Colossians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul teaching the, the church how to live with one another and how to live in the world, and let's start in verse 12. He says, Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I want to look at two pieces of this, of this verse, and we're just going to kind of walk through Colossians here verse at a time. But he says, first of all, God shows you to be a holy people. Now, when we see this concept of holy people, it literally just means set aside for a specific purpose. All right? So when we see holy in Scripture, it literally means set aside. If something was holy unto God, it means it was set aside unto God. It was set aside for Him. It was to be special for Him. And it says here that we are set aside, chosen by God, and set aside as the people he loves. That means we are to be different. There, there is something to be different from us. We're to look different than the rest of the world. We're to look different than our classmates. We're to look different than our unchristian coworkers. We're to look different than those that we're around. Now, it doesn't mean that we have permission to judge them. Quite the opposite. But it does mean that we have, uh, we have to look different. We are set aside. We're not to operate the way they do. We're to operate differently because we have been set aside. We have been made holy, chosen as God's people. And then he goes on to say, but then you must clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Now, when do you get dressed? In the morning, right? We get dressed in the morning. We get ready for bed, but we get dressed in the morning, right? Very few people say, I'm going to go get dressed for bed. We get dressed in the morning. And it says to clothe yourself. So this idea, what Paul is saying to us here, is that when we wake up every morning, we have to get clothed. There, there's, a, there's an action that we have to do. There's something that we have to proactively do to get clothed. I don't know about you guys. I don't accidentally get dressed in the morning, right? That's an intentional act. And if, you know, everybody's had that dream where you go out in the world and you forgot to get dressed, right? Never happened in reality, thank God. But, you know, you know what the terrible dream feels like. So, we wake up in the morning and we're going to get dressed and we, on purpose, we choose what we're going to wear and we prepare to go out into the world. Now, Kim and I were talking about this morning and I, I love the Scottsdale, Phoenix area. I've been traveling out here for years for business and I love to get on the trails and kind of go out uh, around into the desert. Uh, but if you were to get dressed to go out for a walk in the desert, would you just put on flip-flops, shorts, a tank top, you know, would you do that to go out in the desert? No, why not? Because it's dangerous out there, right? There are things that are prickly. And things that want to get you out there. And so if you're going to go for a walk in the desert, you're going to get clothed in a very specific way. You're going, to, you're going to think of your garments in a very specific way so that when you're walking out into the desert, you're prepared for that. Well, here, here's what I would say about our Christian walk. We know that we're going to have challenges throughout the day. We're going to deal with some really prickly people, right? We're going to deal with some people that are having a bad day, that they're having their faults, that they're, they're letting, you know, whatever it is, and some of them are saved, some of them are not saved, and, and certainly they're not saved. We've got to give them extra grace because they don't know any better, right? 
They, they might have been partying all night long and have a terrible hangover in the morning when we meet them at work. They, they, they might have just, you know, been, had a terrible past that we don't know anything about or just, you know, had a big fight with their spouse. Whatever it is, they're, they're prickly. And our job is to get clothed in the morning so that we're not offended by the prickly people that we come in contact with all day long. So that we're prepared. And so he says to get, to get clothe yourselves and here's what we're to get dressed with. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What this means is, is we wake up in the morning and we say, Jesus, I'm going to need you today. I can't do this on my own. I need you. I'm, I know Pastor Preston and the, and the pastors here have taught us about having our quiet time and all that. It, it's, it, you know, it could be a, reading a Bible verse, going through a devotional, but really it's just as simple as grabbing a cup of coffee when we get up in the morning, sitting in our favorite chair and just going, Jesus, I need you today. Will you, will you clothe me? Will you prepare me for what I've got? And in this place of saying, Jesus, come, come and touch, you know, I, I need your strength. I need you to come and, and clothe me today. I need some mercy. I need some peace. I need some kindness that I don't normally come equipped with. Will you give that to me? That's him clothing us, preparing us for the day, and that's how we get our grace allowance. When we spend time with him in the morning and we say, come on, just, just kind of get us ready today. What, what do you got for me today? What do I need to be ready for? That's how we get set apart. So point number one is this. You are set apart, so get dressed each day. You're set apart. You are called to be holy, and so we have to get dressed. We have to spend that time saying, Jesus, prepare us. Get us ready. I'm going to have some prickly people in my life today, and I'm going to need to be prepared to deal with it. And then it goes on, and, and Paul gets right at it here in verse 13. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. Now think about that. Paul says, make allowance. That word in the Greek literally means endure or to bear up under difficulty or persecution. So to, to, to bear up, to make an allowance, means we need to proactively plan to deal with other people's faults. And I love the word he uses here. He doesn't say proactively plan just to deal with other people's weaknesses. That's certainly included. But he says for their faults, for the things that they're doing that's wrong, for the things that are out of their character that is not good, we have to proactively be prepared to deal with one another's faults. Paul is calling us, Jesus is calling us to make an allowance for other people. When we, when we prepare and we say, we know we're going to have some hard times, we know there's going to be some difficulty that we're going to deal, but I am pre-preparing in the morning so that I can deal with the difficult people in my life. I, I, I love what Graham Cook, he calls these people grace growers, right? These are people in our life that you just know, I'm going to have to deal with this person today and they're, they're going to grow some grace in my garden, right? They're going to grow some grace, they're going to take it out of me, so I've got to get it from Jesus in the morning because I'm going to use it throughout the day as I'm dealing with them. And here's the good news, you're probably somebody else's grace grower, right? Somebody else is waking up in the morning praying, you know, I've got to deal with you uh, today and so I need to have some grace in my life. You might be married to your grace grower, Right? We all have needs. We, we, we have to get this daily allowance. So point number two is this. You have a daily allowance for others, and they have one for you. We have to proactively plan out how we get grace for one another. You know, uh, when, when Kim and I were first in, in ministry many years ago, we were, I was at, we're both in the business world, and we had this, this gentleman that we were a part of, of our inner circle, and he was a good friend, and we love him dearly. But he just had this, he had this kind of arrogant thing going, and he had this real kind of anger thing, kind of always under the surface. There was just kind of this under the surface anger. And it, and it caused him to spark and, and, and say things sometimes that were just kind of, you know, inappropriate. And just, he, just, he just had this real running undertone of, of anger. And, and it was kind of irritating. And so, you know, there was times that we would just kind of, you know, we would deal with it, but it, it was a little bit of a frustration. And, and then we took him through ministry one day. I understand you guys are doing Kairos. It was a, it was a ministry like Kairos. And as we were taking him through this ministry, we find out that when he was a young boy, 
he got dropped off at a family member's house every day uh, to babysit. And every afternoon, the male of the household had had enough, would take off his belt and would whip all the kids that were in the house. And this young man, uh, as a little boy, learned to defend himself by holding up his younger siblings and, and, uh, and relations to keep himself from getting hit. And I remember in that moment, I had a revelation. Well, no wonder you're a little bit angry. No wonder you put on a little arrogance to get through the day. And I went from judging his faults to having so much compassion. And just going, dude, it's amazing. You're, you're, you're doing great. I mean, you, you haven't yelled at anybody in the last hour. That's phenomenal. You're killing it. Because when I understood his past, it helped me to have grace for his situation and for, for his faults. But here's the thing. God very rarely gives us a glimpse of what's going on in somebody else's past. Most of the time, we don't know what they've gone through. But what he does is he gives us access to his grace so we can give it to them ahead of time. We can make an allowance for somebody else's faults. We can give them that grace. We may not know what's going on. We don't know what's going on at home. We don't know what your home life was like. We don't know what you being raised was like. We don't know what you've been through. But I know this. I know a God who loves you. And because he loves you, I can choose to love you. And I can make an allowance for you. And I can cover your faults. He goes right on from there into verse 13. He just keeps going, make an allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone. Will you say anyone with me? Anyone. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We have to forgive anyone, anyone that offends us. That means that you're probably going to be offended sometime today, right? Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to offend you. Somebody's going to cut you off in traffic. Somebody's going to cut in front of you at the Starbucks line. A coworker is going to say something about you. A classmate's going to post something on social media. Whatever it is, there's a really good chance you're going to be offended today. And Jesus tells us ahead of time, here's what you got to do. Be prepared to forgive anyone that offends you. Just be ready to forgive. When you forgive, as soon as you forgive, as soon as you get offended, you forgive. As soon as they cross the line, you just forgive them. Say, Jesus, you just love them. You know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, you just wave at them with all of your fingers, right? And say, hey, God bless you. God bless you. We love you. God bless you. And you just, you just, you just plan on being offended and just forgive because Jesus forgave us. Because Jesus forgave us. I know what I've done in my life. I know what Jesus has forgiven me for. And by gosh, if Jesus can forgive me for everything that I've done, I can forgive this person for cutting me off in traffic. I often forgive this person for, you know, my boss for having being grouchy with me at work. I can forgive this person who's lying behind my back. I can forgive them, and I can just forgive them, and I can bless them, and we can just keep going. See, this is what makes us set apart. When we wake up in the morning and we ask God, Jesus, I need your grace. Come and fill me because there's going to be people that are going to offend me today, and I need to forgive them. I need to forgive quickly, and we get in this process. So number three is plan on being offended and on forgiving. Plan. We can plan it ahead of time. We can get ready in the morning and go, okay, Jesus, I don't know when, but sometime today I'm going to get offended. Help me be ready to forgive. And verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves. Once again, we see this idea of getting dressed, getting ready, getting prepared. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let that peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Go back to 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ. Where does the peace come from? Christ. The peace comes from Christ. Now, this is so important for us to get, church. It's not our peace, right? 
Because there's times we don't have peace. There's times we don't have it in our heart. We, we don't feel peaceful. It's not about us learning to be peaceful. It's about us recognizing that Jesus has the peace. And when I go to Jesus and I get his peace in my heart, then I can extend it to other people. You know, we, we say this sometimes talking about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sometimes we say that the, the gifts are given, but the fruit has to be grown. Now, I, I would say that's not true. We don't have to grow fruit. We, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, our, our nature, our character has to grow. But if I need patience, Holy Spirit can give it to me right now. If I need peace, Holy Spirit can give it to me right now. If I need kindness, Holy Spirit can give it to me right now. All I have to do is reach out and partake of Him, what He has, that prepares me. That's how I get my allowance so that I can then spend it throughout the day. When we clothe ourselves with the peace that comes from Christ, it just means, Jesus, I need your peace. I need you to come in my life. I need you to fill me. And in this place, we get our peace of peace. This is point number four. And as I'm dyslexic, I want you to appreciate that I use two different versions of peace, and I think I got it right. Get your peace of peace. We got to get our peace in the morning we got to get that peace that's us. And let's finish it up here in verse 16. And let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. He's telling us what to do. This is what you do in the morning. Sing songs. Put on the music. Sing it out. Praise the Lord. And whatever you do or say... Now, you see that do or say. I think that covers everything that happens throughout the day, right? This is what I do. This is my work. This is my school. This is what I have to do when I'm, I'm, I'm whatever I do and whatever I say, whatever comes out of my mouth, everything, whatever I do or say today, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. So point number five is, is we get to represent we get to represent the kingdom of God. And let me tell you how this works. When we recognize that God's given people strengths and we recognize that he's given them weaknesses. And not only has God intentionally wired weaknesses, but there's also faults. There's characters issues. There's issues that come from past pain. There's all of the things maybe sin has caused in somebody's life. So somebody has gifts and talents and abilities, but they also have weaknesses and they have faults. And when we recognize that and we wake up in the morning and we say, okay, God, fill me with your peace. I need to be filled with you. Let your love come over. Let your kindness, your mercy. And we get filled up through the day and we make an allowance for all of their faults, for all of their weaknesses, for all of their character flaws. And we get quick to forgive. An amazing thing happens, right? We become set apart and we become a representative of who God is to those people. Now think about this. You can change your workplace. You can change your classroom. You can change your family. You can change your neighborhood. Because when you're not responding like the world is responding, when you're responding like Jesus is responding, and you're covering other people's faults and their weaknesses, all of a sudden you start looking different. And people come up to you and go, what's up with you, man? What's up with you? How come you're forgiving that boss? Aren't you mad at him? Like, well, yeah, it hurt my feelings, but I forgive him. I, I, I bless him. I took my daily grace allowance this morning. I'm ready. I took, my, I took my grace vitamin, right? I'm ready to go. I was prepared for this moment. And when we do that, we get to show the world what life in Jesus looks really like, where we get to be bulletproof, where we're basically insulated from all of the crazy and we're getting covered. And here's the other thing. Not only are we covering other people's faults, but we get our faults covered. We get our weaknesses covered. We get somebody looking up after us. And I want, I want you to see this picture. If, if, if my fingers are my strengths, right, the gifts and talents that God hardwired into me, and if the valleys between my fingers are all of my weaknesses, well, here's the amazing thing. When I am vulnerable and I recognize, hey, I've got strengths, 
but I've got weaknesses and I need help. And somebody else says, okay, I'm going to cover you. And we come together like this. It's a representation of the unity of the body. And in this place of us covering one another's faults and allowing our strengths to shine, it makes us together as a body of Christ that represents his love, his goodness, and his grace. And it brings us into a protected place, but it also demonstrates the kingdom of God to a lost and hurting world. It's the way that we represent our love to him. And it's the way that we get to show people how good God is. And it's a way we get to show them how they can find their way to Him. It's an amazing thing when we come together and we acknowledge our strengths and weaknesses and we, we embrace other people around us, but we make an allowance for one another's faults. And we say, you know what? I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to forgive and I'm going to release and I'm going to bless. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.